Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, success is something that all of us strive for, or many do, maybe not everybody. And today we have a guest that really has a lot of success behind him. And we're going to look forward to interacting with Greg, who one of his items that he has done is he raised $120 million for one project. So I want you to stay tuned to this show to figure out how he did it and what he did it for. So Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, Ken, thanks. Uh, Really glad to be here with you. Now, Greg, you have done a lot of great things. Now, again, say your last name for the audience just because I don't want to get it wrong. I don't I don't blame you, Ken, because everybody gets it wrong. Um, The last name is Centineo. And how do you spell that? It's C-E-N-T-I-N-E-O. And if people want to find out more, they can go to your LinkedIn site or to your website, which is your name. And we'll reference that a little bit later on. But Greg, you've had a lot of success in really rallying people around projects and different um, items and and functions around your lifetime. But let's just kind of go back. Where, Where does Greg come from? What's your history? Where were you born? And just take us through your story, uh, you know, as you were growing up and in your history. Yeah, well, obviously, I'm sure everybody can tell from my accent, it's going to be the Northeast. It's Brooklyn, originally <laughs> born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> I always get around kind of try to tell people I'm from North Carolina. Well, of course, raised, yeah, exactly, or Dakota, yeah. That, that's right. Um, and so it was birth in the Northeast, um, you know, a pretty large family, Italian, Italian Catholics, if you would. And... Um, you know, I spent most of my time in New York for the first 27 years of my life before I moved down to South, to South Florida, Boca Raton, Delray Beach area, and, um, and began everything really from there at the age of 27. What did your uh, parents do? Is what, what's sort of their background and, and what were they teaching you as you were growing up? You know, my mom was, was a traditional at that time, you know, stay home, stay at home mom. And she was she did a great job of kind of, um, you know, taking care of myself and my siblings. My father at the same time was a serial entrepreneur. Um, and he dabbled in many, many different industries uh, in the areas of sales. And then obviously ventured out on his own as an entrepreneur and was a very successful uh, entrepreneur at that. So you came by sort of your entrepreneurial streak, honestly, through her- an inheritance and nurturing from your family. Yeah, you know, it's great question, Ken, because I don't know where it comes from. You know, I don't know if it's environment or if you're born with that, but, um, I, I can just tell you, I, I, you have these, I, I think I've had characteristics is from as from going back as early as I can remember where, you know, really you just kind of were driven to do what you wanted to do. Um, and I know I've worked for companies, corporations, I've worked for myself at the same time, but in, even in the context of corporations, I've always done you know, was given the autonomy to do what I needed to do. So I think that's just a, a characteristic I was born with. 
So you take responsibility and ownership of your space and just get it done. I do, you know, and I work best that way. That's a great way of putting it too. I, I take ownership and responsibility. And you know, as my brother used to say, he's worked with me in so many projects. He said, just, just let him be who he is, leave him alone and he'll get it done his way. <laughs> well, you know, that is really a characteristics of many entrepreneurs. Now, uh, Greg, what caused you to want to go down south? So here you're in New York, you've got this this hub of sort of economic hub, what was, uh, what really predicated or drove you to go down south into Florida? You know, I actually, I, I took a position in the Boca Raton area as a, as a youth pastor back then. And uh, wow. most people find that, yeah, I, I get the same response. Um, uh, you know, people, people go back, date back 20 years ago, which they don't, they'll see I was a youth pastor. And so that's what kind of drove me to South, South Florida. And, uh, you know, I have a, I have a degree in theology, um, in my early days and younger years, I was very, you know, uh, had my, I also had my first existential crisis at a very young age and just like had the bigger questions philosophically and spiritually and ended up taking me down the path of, um, theology. And, um, and I spent a great, almost, almost 10, 15 years of my early life in that ministry, um, learning a lot. Oh, sweet. So then uh, from there, you transitioned out of that into, into what? what? What was sort of um, the trigger point to shift from uh, doing ministry work into business? Well, you know, at the, heart, at the heart for me was always, you know, the desire to kind of help people. And, um, but Ken, in my leadership style, I'm very disruptive and divergent. So if I walk into a situation and, um, you know, and it's not working, I'm not afraid to, to implement changes. And, um, you know, therefore for a lot of the successes I've had, because I I was willing to step in and make changes while in the church, it's pretty much an environment that doesn't really embrace change, as you know, very well. And so Mm -hmm. I always, I was always friction, always created friction within that context. Success, though, really big success, my days in the church, but not without friction. I was kid around, Ken. I, I, I literally, I didn't really get fired. I always say I got fired twice by the church, um, you know, for no bad reason other than the fact that I was creating friction. Um, but that was something that I realized was in me, and my desire to help people was about continuing to evolve as a person, first and foremost, to, to embrace change, if you would, Ken. Mm. Um, and you, you have to embrace change for yourself, first and foremost, before you ever institute change for anything else around you, including companies or dreams, visions or startups. So um, I had to leave that environment because I had grown out of it. And my, my thinking, my mindset was completely different. And I had to now venture into the business world. Again, um, I was in the business world prior to the church with my, my, my two brothers um, uh, before the ministry. And then I decided I needed to get back into it and kind of really venture on that trajectory. So what was your first business uh, as you transitioned out? What did you end up doing? You know, I had an interesting scenario when I left in 1999, the, the institutional church, I was followed by hundreds and hundreds of people. So it left me in a predicament because now I had everybody following me. And I remember looking at this multitude of people and I just said, Hey, you know, I'm lost. (laughs) I said, you know, (laughs) so you want to follow me? I'm lost. I just know the, I know what I'm looking for is not, 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 not in that building. So, so I actually still had to kind of 
lead a large number of people at that point and, and kind of address spiritual questions and spiritual needs, etc. And, and I didn't want to be, be paid to do what I was doing anymore in the spiritual context. So I decided to, to go out and, and start a coffee franchise down in Fort Lauderdale. And so, um, so you obviously like coffee. This is uh, one of your uh, passions in life. Big passion of mine, a big fan of, of Starbucks from the beginning when, when Schultz took over Starbucks back in the 80s. Uh, yeah, you know, and it actually was Schultz, what I felt was Starbucks opening two Starbucks shops per day in back in the late 90s, early 2000s. They started to lose some quality on their customer service and so forth, so I decided to do it myself. And, um, and that's when I went out. And you can, you can already taste the flavor of my, my personality and demeanor. I mean, I'll, I'll take charge and do it. And I went out to Seattle for about four months and studied under the, some of the, the, the smaller boutique coffee guys, and then went back to Fort Lauderdale, built a team, raised some money and started a coffee franchise called two street coffee garage. Wow. And so here we are, no experience in the franchise market, but you just decided to kind of throw yourself in. But interesting, Greg, you flew to Seattle and spent some time being mentored by others. Is that one of your sort of secrets is making sure that you get mentored by people who have been before you? Absolutely. It's, it's one of the keys. You know, you don't, you, you don't blind, you don't in a blind fashion do something. You know, you, you move forward with what I call calculated risk. You know, everything is risk, but you, it's calculated. So it's part of my, it's, it's part of, you know, my cycle and processes of doing things is, you know, I want to learn as much as I can about what it is I'm about to, to do. So this way I'm as prepared as possible and preparation is a big part of success. Okay. So tell us a little bit of the story about the coffee franchise. How long did you keep it? And then I understand you sold a little bit later on. So tell us that story. Yeah, you know, that we had a great start. We opened in April of 2001, and um, with great success, we were increasing business in those days by 25% per month, Ken. So we really wow. had taken the market by storm. And in the early days, you know, again, being very divergent in my leadership style and progressive, I was the guy that brought in wireless internet into the coffee restaurant concept, actually um, made the cover of M Business Magazine back in those days for beating Starbucks to wireless. It was, by the fact, it was the only thing I beat them in. So, um, <laughs> but that was a, that was a great run for myself. Uh, but we were, we were quickly confronted with the 9-11, 9-11 scenario in, mm. in uh, September. And uh, as you know, the, the entire country was, if not the world, was some way affected by that. Tourism had taken a really big blow in South Florida, including Fort Lauderdale, where we were centrally located. And so for the next two years, I was now battling a real dilemma of a company that was growing 25% a month to now a company that was basically struggling to survive. And so I had to really figure out how we were going to make it through this, you know, this horrific time. And, and my answer to my, my team and to our small group of investors was, we're going to open up another one. <laughs> so they said, wait a second, we, can, we, we can't make it on one. How are we going to open a second? And I said, well, and, and why would we? And I said, synergy. I said, well, you've got to create synergy in this market. And, and I said, I believe that'll save the company. And it did. We actually, uh, we did something for a fraction of what it cost us to open the first one up. And we were very creative in how we did it. And we ended up opening up on Fort Lauderdale Beach right off of Las Solas. And so 
we had beachfront property now at a fraction of the cost because the the property needed a coffee shop, and so that be, ended up saving the company. And um, I ended, you know, and the rest is history. And it grew from there. I ended up selling to clients about right after about five, the five year mark, and that company still open 14, 15 years later. Awesome, awesome. So you sold that. It, and what was sort of the main reason that you sold it? That you were ready for something else, or, or what was sort of drove your decision to uh, sell the coffee shops? Yeah, I'm a you know, I, I've, and this is great, Ken, because part of success is understanding who you are, you know, what your skill sets are, what your talents are, what you and what you enjoy doing, what you love doing, and what you're good at doing. And for me, I'm a builder. I love I love challenges. So I'm not a manager. So if something's up and existing and it, it just needs to be operated, I'm not an operator. You know, I'm a guy that comes into situations now that I understand and know myself. I look at, impo- especially the, the more impossible a situation is, the more I gravitate toward it. Because mm. I believe my mindset is you can do anything you set your mind to in this world. And, and I've proven that over and over and over again. Um, and so, and so that, you know, after about three years, you know, after we got through the rough times and, and we were pretty much, you know, rolling pretty good, it was boring for me. It's just not, not my cup of coffee, if you will. I was going to say cup of tea, but not my cup of coffee right. to show up every day to the same place and do the same thing. That's not me. So it was time for me to move on and, and, and find another adventure. So you sold that. Then how did you decide what the next adventure was? How did, how did that unfold for you? You know, you don't, you know, I love that. It's, it's, and one of the greatest questions, Ken, that I'm, I'm posed most of the time by people is like, what are you going to do next? You know? And I always say, I don't know, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I always say it's not, it's, I don't worry about if I'm going to find something to do. I always, I, what concerns me, if I will find something I will want to do, you see, that's the difference. And so, you just don't know when you live this type of life of being an entrepreneur, it's very ambiguous, the future. And so, and sometimes it's a wait. So I didn't know what I wanted to do after I sold the coffee shop and, uh, but we sold it and I kind of sat I- idle for a while until an opportunity presented itself to me. And at that point it, it was banking. And at first glance, I had no interest in getting involved in banking at that point. But, um, you know, my brother persuaded me to take a good look at it. At that, t- that point, it was Washington Mutual in, in domestically, which was the number one bank in the country. It was very prestigious. And I decided, you know what? They needed, they, they needed leadership in residential lending, and I decided to give that a shot. So how did that opportunity come your way? You said your brother sort of talked to you about it, but how did that sort of unfold? He was in it already, and then they were looking for somebody, or, or how did that occur? Yeah, it's always, it's always, you know, a little bit of meaningful coincidence, you know? So as I said, I had finished coffee. I kind of was sitting on the sidelines and I can, I can remember exactly what I was doing the day my brother called. I was reading the Da Vinci Code and, um, and he said, you know, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading the Da Vinci Code. He says, no, I mean like, what are you doing? I said, that's all I'm doing these days. I'm reading the Da Vinci Code. (laughs) And he said, well, what are you what are you going to do? I said, I'm not sure. I have no idea. So that's kind of where he introduced the idea. And I really kind of turned it down at first. I said, I have no interest in going in getting involved in the bank and so forth. But he said, you should, I think you'd be great at this. And so he put, he organized a meeting and long story short, you ended up, you needed to have two years of experience for Washington mutual. And you had to fund at least 2 million a month with that two years experience. Now, 
Ken, I didn't, I, I had no idea what fi- even financing was at, the, at those levels, let alone have experience. So it, it, it created a little bit of a difficult problem. But the woman who was the president in Boca Raton of, of the, the two major offices saw mm-hmm. something in me. <laughs> and she knew that she saw the talent and she knew that I would be not just successful, as she put it years later, but hugely successful. And anyway, it got vetoed straight up. And she ended up taking it to the president of Washington Mutual, believe it or not. And uh, I'll never forget it, Ken. They vetoed it straight through. And she didn't tell me this was going on until after I got hired. And so finally, the president called her and said, Connie, why is this guy's application, this coffee shop minister's application on my desk? Like I have nothing better to do in running a bank, the big, the largest bank in the country. And she said to him, if you, she said, I'm not going to let it go unless you meet him. And if you meet him and say no, I'll let it go. And Ken, the rest is history. I, he flew down to Florida for another meeting. And while he was here, I had a chance to meet with him. And I sat in, I sat in an office with him. He looked at my, glanced at my resume for probably, you know, three and a half, four minutes. And this is what he said to me. He said, he said, Greg, let me give you a little advice. He said, I just looked at your resume, he glanced. And he said, and what I noticed about you is, he said, everything or anything you do starts from nothing and it ends up big. So go back and do what you're good at. Second, he said to me, Ken, go back and do what you're good at, which was ministry or coffee. And I looked at him out of respect and I started to get up. And I said, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. And I was going to leave. And then he said something to me. Ken, he said, he looked me in the eye and he said, and whatever made you think you can do this? And at that point, the pride, my pride got involved. And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? I said, this, um, you, you, mortgages, this, yeah. And I looked at him and I said, sat back down. I said, you made me believe I can do this. He said, me, I just met you. I said, oh no, you made me believe I can do this. And he said, how did I make you believe I can? And I, and I think at this point, Kenny got really nervous thinking this guy must be out of his mind telling me right. I was his inspiration on banking. And I looked at him and I said, well, you looked at my resume and you told me I was really good at what I did. And I said, you know what I did? I sold something that you can't see, you don't, you can't touch, and you don't receive it until you drop dead, God. I said, so if I can sell that, the intangible, I can certainly sell the this, the tangible, better than you or anyone in your company. And Ken, he sat back in the chair, looked at me what felt like 30 seconds, and then uttered these words. He said, you are hired. Just like that. I was dismissed five minutes earlier. Five minutes later, I was now hired. I was number 3,814 in, the, in Washington Mutual as a loan consultant at that point, which was last. And 12 months later, I was number 84 in the company in Hawaii, at the President's Club, I funded $86 million my first year in residential lending. And then the rest is history. I built teams around me that believed in what we were doing, were inspired, and we were funding about $200 million a year in residential lending. So Connie, who believed in me, was absolutely correct in what she, what she recognized about me, and I became the poster child. You know, Greg, I appreciate your uh, confidence in sharing that story. That's really great for our listeners. So what did you do in that first year, practical ideas that our listeners can apply that catapulted you to 84th out of 3,800? What did you do? It's the same thing, Ken, that I've done in every single industry that I've been in. 
every, it's the same thing. It's the ability to attract large numbers of people to a common goal. And you do that by educating people, knowing why you're doing what you're doing. So when I got into banking, I was passionate. I believed in what I was doing. I saw, I saw the, I, in a sense, breaking the banking code, realizing, you know, that most people in life didn't know how to leverage money, but actually money was leveraging them and institutions like the banks were leveraging people. Explain that to, to the individuals. There are many who are listening to this who understand that, but explain that concept, leveraging them versus the others. What, what does that mean? Well, irregardless of where you've been to college, university, what degree you have, you're never taught how to put money to work. You're always taught how to go earn money and, and ultimately give it away to institutions like the banks that make the interest on your money. And you settle for very little, if not nothing, on your money. Mm -hmm. And so, so I started to understand that. And I hate to say this, I don't want to insult anybody, but I felt when I started to study the bank and I started to see these, these massive gaping cracks, it, was, it reminded me of the church in some ways. I don't mean the spiritual church. I mean, some of the institutional churches that are out there that, mm -hmm. that were doing what the bank was doing. It was keeping people a little bit ignorant. It was instilling fear, you know, and at the same time taking their money. And so I just began to tell the stories. I looked at people's applications, looked at their financial situations, and I would say to them, you know, you're sitting on a lot of money in your real estate and it's doing nothing for you. And if you look at your application and you look at your, your savings and you look at your retirement, you know, in 20 years, you're going to be in trouble unless something dramatic happens to you. And, you know, and we're not told those things. We're not taught how to look at that and how to re-strategize and, and, and plan a trajectory that, that, that is for success. And so I was telling that story, Ken. I was looking at people and, and Exp educating them on a brand new way of looking at leverage and looking at money in their properties. Um, and so it took me hours and hours for clients, but spending that time and, and caring and educating them and, and not selling, but like I always say, but always educating people, people were having the aha moments and started to, to implement the, the principles of leveraging. And, and, you know, who knew that the recession was coming? Who knew that the markets were going to implode both real estate, you know, and, and banking, but the people that leveraged, you know, were safe. The people that, that applied that philosophy actually were the ones in the boat when the recession hit because they applied these principles. So you became, you become a hero when you do that because it actually worked. Um, but that's how I did it. And, and, and growing my business was all about helping people, man, and just, you know, educating them and let them make their own decisions. You can only tell somebody, let them process the information. And ultimately it's there. It's, it's, it's up to them to make the decision that they want to make. Does that make sense? It makes sense. It's a complete sense and really honoring and respecting the individual rather than trying to manipulate them with some kind of silly clothes or something like that. Oh man, I love that you said that. I, I, you know, I'm probably the greatest closer in the world that doesn't close. I, I, there's no, a close is organic. You know, you educate and when somebody has the moment and they're there and they say, you know what, I want to do that. That's the close, not you. It's you giving people the freedom. And I love the word, the respect, you know, and, and that's why I say I'm not a salesman. Um, you know, and sometimes there's another way to describe what I do because I persuade people, you know, I, 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 I attract people to get involved in mm. goals, but it's not <laughs> through manipulation. It's through passion. It's through belief and it's through honesty and people, you know, and, and respect, you know, you give, you give people information and they're going to do it or they're not going to do it. And that's their privilege. And that's a beautiful way to, to really live life. 
Yeah, if you are a sales rep who is desperate and you need that sales, that that will come across, won't it? Oh, desperation always does. And and people don't want to be sold. They really do not want to be sold. It's it's uncomfortable when you're being sold. And we all know it. And we all wait for it. You know, you go into a car dealership and I was driving a Jeep a few months ago when I went into the Jeep dealership. And it was a it was a pretty expensive Jeep, you know. Jeeps but you know just basic Jeeps at 27,000. You start to load those up, Ken, with lifts and wheels and all kinds of gadgets, $80,000, $90,000. And I'm driving one of these big equipped Jeeps and, and the young kid in the back, probably 25, 26. And this is what he says to me. He says, so what do I need to do for you to buy this Jeep today? And I looked in the mirror at this 20, 25 year old kid. And I'm thinking to myself, First of all, I said, you're, you want to know what it's going to take me after driving this for 10 minutes to give you $80,000? I said, you, have, you won't make $80,000 this year. You want me to give it to you in 10 minutes? And he looked in horror, and I said, you can do nothing that'll make me give you $80,000 today to walk home with this Jeep, because this is the beginning of my process of determining if I want this Jeep. And this is the first step. You see, we, we don't, we, we're trained as salespeople in most cases not to give people a runway for them to kind of understand, feel, and learn about what it is that they're doing and, and determine if they even want it. So we're always trained to get them to do something right away. Why? It's usually self-centered. It's we want the commission instead of we want what's right for the, for the customer. If I, I, was, I was hoping, Greg, that was gone because... Oddly enough, I did sales training in the auto industry for 10 years. And I just, the sales managers who would teach this young guy, by the way, what can we do to sell you this today, is their favorite saying. I mean, it's completely opposite on how people want to buy. And no wonder people hate, quote unquote, going in to buy a car because uh, they are not educated and they don't understand what you're talking about. So, sorry, that was my little... uh, stand on the podium and agree with you that this is this is not how it's supposed to be done so with when with washington did you stay with washington mutual or then what did you do after that greg well you know after that success then i was being hunted down by some of the other major banks um because of our large success and um loan sizes that we were were pulling in we were dealing with all a paper at that time so i wasn't involved with the, the subprime fiasco, if you would. We were dealing with a paper clients. Um, I ended up leaving Washington Mutual, moving over to another major lender. Uh, they offered me a deal I couldn't refuse with my entire team. But I didn't stay long after that. I, I did it from 04 to about 2008. And then I was, I was, I had what I would call the greatest, probably the greatest project of my entire life presented itself to me um, in 2000, late 2007, which was um, the Legends of Oz, Dorothy's Return animated franchise that we launched independently. Now, how did that opportunity come to you? I mean, it had to exist before. It, I mean, here's this guy who is this lender, coffee shop guy, and all of a sudden an animated film project comes across your desk. How does that happen? You forgot Minister. How about Minister, coffee shop, yes. banker? Well, there you, you go. Know? You know, and if you go further back, I was in the landscaping business prior to cutting grass. So, you know, it, it dates far back. And it's all, it's, everything leads to something. I, you know, my book, which comes out next year, Lucky by Design, it's about me, the collision between meaningful coincidence, which I entitled Luck, and hard work and design. 
So everything that I had done had done to that point in my life had prepared me, including I worked with some very prominent producers in Hollywood, you know, on helping them leverage themselves and their money so that they can eventually retire as big producers and actors. So my name got around the industry a little bit because of my banking credentials. And, um, and then I was referred to a CEO of a very small independent production company as a guy who probably can help. That's how it was, it was framed. And so I got a phone call, just a random phone call from an independent production company CEO who said, Hey, I have an idea. I'm making a movie. I said, not interested. And I basically hung up. He said, but I didn't even tell you what it's about. I said, I don't care. I don't do movies. And, and it started there. And the long story was after seven months of due, some due diligence and what he was doing, really a lot of educating myself on this. Um, I realized it was, we were doing an animated film sequel to the wizard of Oz it had ne- no independent filmmaker in the history of Hollywood had ever attempted anything like this simply for one reason. They couldn't raise that, that sum of money to do animation. You need mi- tens of millions of dollars, independent film companies or, or studios are used to raising, you know, two, five, seven tops, 10 million for, for a featured film. So it always animation was always out of the reach. And so when I looked at it, I thought, man, this idea is absolutely outstanding. And, um, and the challenge, you know, that presented itself was right where I needed it to be right, right in my wheelhouse, Ken. So, uh, after seven months, I agreed to jumping on board and helping him do what no one's ever done in the history of Hollywood. And it required, you know, for me, not only saying yes, but to also laying some ground ground rules down with the CEO and such as that, you know, listen, man, you're going to have to trust me because you obviously I've never done anything like this before, nor have I, and it's going to require completely different mindsets to accomplish what we want to accomplish. And at that point, Ken, we were only raising $20 million for what was going to be a DVD. And may I remind you, we had just entered into the recession. This is 2007, 2008. And in in 08, Bertie Madoff obviously hit the fan. And so that created a real hostile environment for not only raising money for projects, but the, the fact that banks and countries were going bankrupt at the time, you know, was not, was not a real healthy environment for people to give money to something, especially, you know, a startup independent filmmaker who's going to attempt to do what Pixar, Disney and DreamWorks is going to do, right? It's just not, not in the ingredients, if you would. Um, so we certainly had the challenges. And so I had to kind of figure out how is this going to be done? Again, I didn't raise money prior to that. And I never built an animated franchise. So I, I did a lot of research and study, which is what I'm known for. And then built a great team. People always say, you know, Ken, I love this. I, I got to draw this out. People say, you know, it's unbelievable. You, you raised $122 million, 20,000, 50,000, hundred thousand at a time. Remember that nobody, no large investor was writing checks for $40 million at that point. So it started with, you had about 1,400 investors in total that came into that project. But, you know, they say that was, was that the most difficult part of the project, raising all that money? And that was really difficult, believe me, when I tell you. That's, that's it's probably parallel to climbing Mount Everest in short sandals and a t-shirt. Right. Um, but, Ken, what was even more difficult was building a team early on in that early stage because I didn't raise any money. And who, who in their right mind is going to commit their time, energy, and skills to this impossible dream. Think about that. So, so that's, you know, I had to be able to attract people 
to the impossible. And so, and that's the stuff that we can, we talk about. And what is it that, 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 that why, and not just what, why do people choose to do things? And, you know, I built a great team of talented human beings, um, that faced this tremendous hurdle and obstacle. And, um, but it was, it was the resilience, the tenacity, the determination of the people that you surround yourself with that allow you to do the impossible. So when you think about this, Greg, and, you know, people are listening to this amazing story and you've mentioned a few characteristics already, what do you say to other entrepreneurs or just individuals on the characteristics and qualities that it takes to really get these, this level of success in life? What is it that you were really embracing when you faced it right head on? What are some of the things that you really had to do as an individual? to make sure that these things came together. What are the qualities and behaviors that you, that you embrace on a day-to-day basis that my listeners, our listeners, can consider for themselves in whatever profession they're doing? It's all the same, and I, I like that you said that. It's because it doesn't matter what profession you're in, what industry, because, Ken, I've done it in 10 different industries, and I've, 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 I've gotten the same result in all 10. I walked in at the bottom, and I left up at the top. So it doesn't matter what industry, these, these characteristics apply to everything, including your relationships, your marriages, um, your kids, everything. And, um, I would tell you today, the term didn't, I don't think the term existed back then. If it did, I didn't know it, but it's, it's, it's really what I call emotional and social intelligence. And it's really the ability to the competencies that are linked to self-awareness and self-management you know, and, um, and the social awareness and, and how you manage these relationships. Um, and that really goes down deep. You know, it, 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 I was very, my, my emotional intelligence to understand myself, to be self-aware who I am, what I'm doing and, um, and what I why I determined to do what I was going to do and locking in on that because you you realize how many people during the Legends of Oz project told me it's impossible. You'll ne- and they were right. It is impossible. And, and they said, you'll never do it. You'll never succeed. And I heard, and you know how many times people told me no to getting involved in the project? You know, I'm, when I use this term, Ken, it's not an exaggeration, but thousands of times I was told no, 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 no. So what is it that allows somebody, after being told no so many times, to keep going? Well, it certainly wasn't the exterior environment of people. It was, it was what was inside me. And it was my determination, my awareness of who I am and what I believe in. And, and the fact that I was going to continue to try, irregardless of what anybody else said, because I came to terms with myself that this was something I needed to do. And I never believed, by the way, Ken, I always say this in, in all my interviews, I never really believed that I was going to succeed at this because who would? You'd be out of your mind. Like I say, you'd put me in a straitjacket if in 2008 I said, I'm going to raise $100 million in this, in this climate. I would be out of my mind and nobody would give me money because they'd say he's out of his mind. But what I did say was, was that I will get up every single day and I will try no matter what. No matter what, I will try. I, will, I am determined. I know what the goal is. I know what the common goal is, and I, will, and I will try. And I attracted large numbers of people to that common goal because of my belief, right? Which my belief then turned into a confidence. You know, it turned into confidence in what I was doing. And then it turned into conviction 
about what I was doing and then passion. And people are drawn to that type of character. They're drawn to that type of idea because, because there's what surrounds those four words, Ken, is, is energy, right? It's, it's huge energy. It's life. It's excitement. It's adventure. And what I started to det- realize in that project alone was how the, because this was now becoming the biggest thing I've ever achieved in my entire life. And, and I started to ask the mm-hmm. questions, how, what, what, how does this, I, and believe me, Ken, like you asked, I started to ask, like, how does this happen? How does, you know, and you start to realize that people, all of us are alike. We want to be part of something. You know, we want, we want to attach ourselves to something bigger than ourselves. And, right. um, and so, you know, people are moved to engage in an idea. If, if there's those four, those four characteristics, belief, confidence, conviction, and passion. And, um, and so, so that all centers around leadership, me, it's centered around how I viewed myself, how aware was I about who I am and what I was doing? Because to be told, no, I would, I would eventually use the nose, Ken, as fuel, literally fuel to continue to drive me forward instead of it being negative and, and it would be a discouragement to me. It was actually fuel. I just, because I knew my why and mm-hmm. everybody knew my why. So I think whatever you're doing in this world and you know, there's two languages that no one ever talks about, you know, we hear Spanish, English, Japanese, but let me give you two languages, Ken, that very few people talk about. And the first language is the language of can C A N. And the second language, which is completely different, is the language of can't. And every human being in this world speaks one of those two languages. And it, and it, and it doesn't matter which one you speak, they're right. If you believe you can, you're correct. And if you believe you can't, you're also correct because you won't. And so, so when I, I speak the language of can, I don't, of course it's impossible. That, because no one's done it before. It doesn't mean it can't be done. Let's, we got to try. And, mm-hmm. and so when you live by that language and you speak that language, I look, when I build teams, all I, I look, the first characteristic I look for, Ken, is do they speak the same language as me? Not English, but the language of can. Because if they speak can, then I know that'll create tremendous synergy and chemistry and dynamic of energy. And what brings things to reality, what wills projects to reality, it's energy. Well, when we think about everything, and Greg, thank you for that. And uh, we couldn't agree more. Uh, interesting enough, you know, in our research and leadership, emotional intelligence is one of the skill sets that leaders need. And we teach here at CRG self-awareness and self-management. That's our core offering. And to support your uh, research is on optimism and pessimism can and can't predicts a person's success. So all of those are validated from our side and I couldn't have put the, uh, said it better myself, but you have proven that you can do it. So when you got, uh, got into this project and raising this money for this um, animated film, what was sort of the outcome? What was the end result of this project? You raised the money what was uh, what occurred with that project in the end so in the end the project was handed off well first of all it achieved it, it over delivered everything it ever promised and it it delivered an animated franchise at the highest levels in the animation industry so we actually did 
pierced the veil of the industry with Disney, DreamWorks, and Pixar. We had a wide release, 4,000 screens domestically, 41 territories overseas. I think it was um, yeah, about 41 different countries that we were in. We had almost 3,700 licensing deals from some of the largest companies in the world. Our, our merchandise was on the shelves of Target, Walmart, Toys R Us. Um, it was a musical with Brian, uh, Brian Adams, uh, Toby Chu did the score, A-list cast, Leah Michelle, Patrick Stewart. If you look at the film, by the way, great film, and it's a musical, tremendous children's animation film. Um, we did everything ourselves, and that's, that's how we made history. Um, raised the money, owned all, still own all the intellectual property rights to the, to the film and the music. The mistake that was made, I can't even call it a mistake, uh, because it was handed to, a, to an incompetent distribution company at the end. And that was the only third-party company that we handed what we, we now tout as our baby to another company. And what we learned very quickly was, you know, what you cherish and what you love and what you take tremendous care of when you give it to somebody else that's not emotionally connected to it they'll treat it the way they want. We gave the film to the, the distribution company and handed them $32 million to market the film. And they, they did at best a botched up job of marketing. And the film didn't have its robust box office as it should have with that type of P and a budget and, and theater release. So it didn't do, it didn't do well in box office um, at that point. And so it was a, it was a big disappointment for us though. Huge achievement to have gotten it to that point and got it into market but um, but didn't do well in the box office. But great film, great film. Yeah. I think it produced a, it produced a million five last year to the franchise just in downloads. Um, three years later, um, so still making money out there. Um, but we got a you know we got a little bit of a ways to go in that to get that thing you know humming. Right. Well, there you learned something from that one as well, and of course. Uh... If we had no mistakes, then we're probably not engaging in life whatsoever. So, Greg, what are you doing now? What's 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 your uh, life involved now? And with that, I'd like you to. We just have a few minutes left in the show. I'd like you to share sort of your wisdom that you've captured by being in these different industries over the the time frame beyond what you've shared with us so far. You know, it's it's it really has resonated with me. Ken, that you can, you can literally do anything that you set your mind to, and you can literally jump into multiple industries throughout your lifetime and start over and succeed. Um, to me, it's, it's, it's business is business, it, whether it's banking, it's ministry, coffee shops, animation franchise, or even, even uh, digital and human animation, because my next project was Pulse. We were the guys that put Michael Jackson's hologram back on stage at the Billboard Awards. And so... Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. Business is business. You have to move large numbers of people to a common goal to achieve whatever it is that you're doing. If you're a small business, you've got to attract people to what you're doing. And so that's, so I've learned that it, it I'm not afraid. Uh, so these days I've decided to not only consult companies, which is what I do now on a regular basis, consult thought leaders and entrepreneurs companies around the world on, on how to attract large numbers of people, how to, how to gain success in what they're attempting to do, how to build teams and so forth. I, I do that on a regular basis now. On top of that, I'm also now curating a lot of my experiences and my content uh, to make that available to hopefully, you know, millions and millions of people around the world. So they have accessibility to this type of 
information because it's all based on experience, Ken. It's all what I've learned over the past 30 years of my life and the successes, the failures. Um, and so um, we're, we're now really trying to get this information out. So it's in, in what I call, you know, digestible nuggets. So people can actually understand that and, and helps them build their companies, whatever level their companies are at. Mm, awesome. Thanks, Greg. Now, Greg, remind us of what the name of the book is going to be. Title of the book is Lucky by Design. Lucky by Design. And then when do you hope to have that out for the listeners? That'll be out at the end of 18, probably fall of 18. Fall of 18. So we look forward to that. If people want to get a hold of you before that, Greg, how can they do that? You know, can they can they can obviously look me up on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Greg Centineo at Greg Centineo, or my website, which is my name, gregcentineo.com. And you know, for your audience, Ken, I'm gonna I'd love to give them a gift. Um, if they go to my website and uh, go up to the contact tab up top and give us uh, their information, name and email address, and then just put in the purpose box, um, say uh, video gift. I'm gonna give them one of my uh, 25 minute videos on the, the art and psychology of fundraising, which really it's the art and psychology of everything we just talked about life. And so that's part of an eight part, uh, five, eight part series, but I'll give them uh, one of those segments uh, as a gift. Well, thank you, Greg, for doing that. And, and Greg, thanks for taking, I mean, you're a very successful, busy person. And thanks for taking time to be uh, on our show today and sharing your wisdom, your insights. And I just encourage you know, everybody who has been listening that you take what Greg has said to heart. So Greg, thanks for being with us. Okay, no, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity uh, that you've given us and, and thanks to the audience. Well, thank you, Greg. And so as we wind up the show, just about every time we say, you know, thank you for listening. If you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, leave positive comments, uh, whatever it is that uh, you can do with and for us because we're partnering with you. And if you have some ideas or guests for the show that would help us, then we certainly appreciate that as well. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.